0: Uh, I'm Jeff. I'm thrilled to be here this morning. I was thrilled to hear Rick speak yesterday on a topic uh, that is near to dear to my heart, and that's biblical hope. It's the hope that we all share in Christ. We sung about it a little this morning. And sometimes for us, we can read First Peter, and we can hear it preached, and we think that's great, but sometimes it's easy to it's easy to hear those words without understanding how to apply it and how to see it lived. And as I was uh, listening to Rick, I thought, what is the best story in the Bible that illustrates for us how a biblical hope is lived? And for those of you who may have missed, Rick defined a biblical hope as a, um, a solid faith-based determination that something is going to happen. And that solid faith-based determination is really based on God's promises, And his power to keep those promises. As as I was reflecting on that, I really thought, I should say it really reinforced for me, I see the book of Ruth as being a great story of a woman who exhibited biblical hope. And who acted on that hope in a way that hopefully will be a blessing for all of us. Uh, I know it was a blessing for me in preparation this morning, and I will warn you that in seminary, we kind of learned our standard sermon Oh, practice is a joke, three main points, and a poem. And I've got to warn you, I got to warn you, I got no joke, I've got no poem, and I got five main points. So, But I, I am confident that we're going to get some value out of this. God's word doesn't return void, and I know I was blessed by it, and I pray you all are as well. So with that in mind, knowing that I have somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 minutes, um, let's dive right in. God, I'm thankful for this opportunity to share your word. I'm thankful for the biblical example that you give us in Ruth, and I just pray you would bless us this morning in the hearing and the applying of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And I don't think I have to remind anybody that we live in challenged times, that we're touched deeply by COVID, that we live in a time of financial instability, we live in a time of political instability, we live on a, in a time of conflict and divisiveness that we haven't seen in, and I'm 51 years old haven't seen I don't believe in in my lifetime. Uh, And for some of us, those challenges have risen to a level of hopelessness for a lot of us. Statistically, uh, depression is on the rise. Anxiety is on the rise. And understandably, the times we're in are scary times. They're potentially defeating times. And this is an opportunity for the Church of Christ to come together and provide a hope and to model a hope that the world doesn't have, that might be winsome, if only we can tap into actions motivated by a biblical hope instead of actions motivated in response to these things that are so challenged. And so Ruth appears to me to be a wonderful example of a person who sees beyond her circumstances to a hope beyond reason, a solid faith-based determination, despite all circumstances and all logical thought to the contrary, that somehow, some way, God is going to accomplish incredible things. And it's the hope that we have as a church, and it's a hope that we can impart not just to ourselves, but to the world. And so I challenge us as we look at Ruth to explore our own lives and our own actions and to think in terms of the biblical hope that we have. And I want to set the stage for Ruth by saying, first, uh, her situation is dire in this story we find out that she is she's lost her husband she's lost all of the men in her immediate family and it may sound sexist but understand culturally that it is through men in that culture that you derive your protection you get your provision you get your support It's through your husband and your immediate family that you get those things until your children, especially your male children, can come of age and they can provide that for you. Well, Ruth has no children. She has no husband. She has no men in her immediate family at all. It is her. It's her sister-in-law and it's her mother-in-law. And she's in a pretty dark place. Circumstances-wise. And Naomi, her mother-in-law the matriarch of the family is in an even darker place. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. She is, she tells, and I think in love, she tells her two daughters-in-law, go back to your families. Go back to your gods. I can't do anything for you. All I can do is go back to my home and hope somebody takes pity on me. And one of the daughter-in-laws follows a logic and says, you know what, much as it pains me to do this, I, you know, that makes sense. And Orpah walks away. And that's why the book's not called Orpah. (laughs) Ruth, in contrast, has a biblical hope. And she may not know much about the Bible, but she knows enough about God and she knows enough about her people or God's people to covenant with them. And so we see the five things that we're going to learn. They're all going to come out of this biblical hope that Ruth has. And the five things we're going to learn are this one, biblical hope is rooted in love for God and his people. We're going to see not everyone, even among God's people, is going to share your hope. But we can be confident that God is working, so hope does not disappoint. And we're going to see that God most often works through his people to accomplish his purposes. And we're going to see that biblical hope results in acts of love that matter for eternity. And just as that was an encouragement to us in the reading of Ruth, it should be an encouragement to us in how we live our lives, as we seek to live lives of purpose, as we seek to live lives that matter. There are two acts of love rooted in biblical hope that form the structure of this book. The first, and they're both covenantal in nature. The first one is a covenant between Ruth and and God and his people. In uh, Ruth 1, 16 and 17, Ruth says, in responding to Naomi, "'Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried.'" May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And the way that we hear that in our English ears, this is a covenant between Ruth and Naomi, right? But in the Hebrew, they have what are called chiastic structures. And unlike in in the way that we write, where the main point's at the top sentence, they structure things in a way where the main point is in the middle, and if you diagram this, the main point of this covenant, the middle point is your God will be my God and your people will be my people. That whereas Ruth has, told, has been told by her mother-in-law, go to your people and go to your gods. Ruth has said instead, your people are my people and your God is my God. And that's who I covenant with. It's an act of, it's an incredible act of love rooted in a biblical hope. Remember, Naomi sees hopelessness. She has no way to provide. She has no way to protect. She has no way to support. And so that's why she tells her people to go. But Ruth knows something Naomi doesn't. She knows that God will find a way. And then we get to the part of the story where Naomi responds. This beautiful act of covenant with God and his people, anchored in herself to Naomi, and they hug, and they grasp hands, and they kumbaya all the way to Bethlehem, right? No. Unfortunately, that's not the way it happens at all. In fact, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, this is... Uh, uh, Chapter 1, verse 18, she said no more. Naomi gave her the silent treatment the whole way back. What's worse, when Naomi finally gets to Bethlehem, the people go, hey, I remember you, you're Naomi. She says, this is verse 19, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Remember in Hebrew, Naomi means sweet. She said to them, "Do not call me Naomi, sweet, call me Mara," which means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Ruth returned, or so Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, to return from the country of Moab. Naomi one says, "I've returned empty." Well, Ruth is standing right there. It's going to make you feel good, right? And then she's immediately identified as Ruth the Moabite. And if you know anything about Hebrew uh, Jews and Moabites, they don't love each other. Their Mo- people from Moab are really shunned in the nation of Israel. And so you have this person who has covenanted herself to God and God's people. But God's people haven't necessarily responded with love and appreciation and respect for Ruth. In fact, they have identified her as this outsider. And here's Naomi, this one picture she has of God and his people, who's basically casting her aside. But what is Ruth's response to that? My response would probably have been, heck with this, I'm out of here. But that's not a response of biblical hope. Ruth's response is, she continues to stay with Naomi. She continues to stay in Israel. And this is where we as a people fall into trouble sometimes, is that we put too much, we put too much of our hope in God's people and not enough of our hope in God himself. Uh, it was, uh, I think, Gandhi who said, I like your Christ, I don't like your Christians. I don't see much of your Christ in Christians. And we as a people, I go to a church that its tagline used to be, um, it's the church for people that don't like church. That, and their, their idea at the time was everybody can relate to that. See, sometimes we put too much of reliance on God's people, not enough reliance on God himself to work. That's something that we can remember. That unfortunately, in ministry, I've let many people down. In ministry, I've made many mistakes. Uh, And if you're one of those people, I'm sorry. Um, We'll talk later. Uh, God's people make mistakes. God's people are flawed. And God himself isn't. And though we bind ourselves to God's people, we can't put our hope in them. And that's something we will learn with Ruth in her interaction with Naomi. Uh, I'd ask, is your hope in God and his promises or is it in other people? Are you encouraging people to have biblical hope or are you discouraging them in their hope? One of the things we learned, as I said, is that biblical hope doesn't disappoint because God is working for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purposes. We learned that in Romans 8, 28. I have a commentary on the book of Ruth, and it's called, it's titled God Behind the Scene. And it highlights the way that God works, that a lot of times we don't see these burning bush experiences. I mean, there's a reason that we talk about those things thousands of years after they happened. They're not commonplace experiences. We more likely see God weaving events together in a way that brings about something that could only have worked out the way it did if God was clearly involved in the process. That God works not just in mysterious ways, but he works in ways that drive a conclusion that has to be without burning bush moments. And that's what we see in our lives so often. And we see that in the book here. We have to remember that coincidence is bad theology. And so when you read the book of Ruth, think about all the coincidences that you see. It just so happened they came to Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest. Verse 122. It just so happened Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Verse 2 1. Verse 2 3. It just so happened. Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. It just so happened Boaz came to town, came to the field from town. And perhaps most significantly, it just so happens that whereas everybody else views her as Ruth the Moabitess, Boaz views her differently verse six, and the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she, when asked, who is this woman? She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And this little aside, if you read throughout Ruth, you will see her referred to as a Moabitess or a woman from Moab constantly. But there's one person who doesn't refer to her that way. And that person's going to be Boaz. And I take that back. He refers to her as a Moabitus once. And that is when he is trying to secure her as his wife. And it's to her and his advantage to, to do that. Um, you see in verse eight, Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are that be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. He was able to see past her race to the content of her character. As an application, are you looking for God behind the scene? Are you seeing God work? Are you seeing things that seem coincidental and attributing them to God? Are you seeing that God is bringing about things in your life as they should be? And thanking him for those things? Are you expecting God to act for your good and his glory? And just as we see God's working, we'll see God most often works through his people. Boaz starts by praying for Ruth in verse 12, uh, chapter 2. He says, "'The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge.'" And try to remember or circle or hi- underline or highlight or whatever, that word wings, because it's going to be really important later. And we're going to see that God not just prays for Ruth, but that he actively works to fulfill that blessing in Ruth's life. How does he do that? Well, one, I'm glad you asked. Uh, one, he treats her as one of his own. Chapter two, verse 14 says, And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. He treats her as one of his own. He protects her. Back in 2.8, you may remember, he says, um, Stay with my people. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And he even gives her special treatment. Verses 15 and 16, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. See, their welfare system was in effect, we're going to go through and we're going to pick and whatever's left over, whatever they missed, you know, the people who need food can come through and they can get it. Well, Boaz goes beyond what is standard practice and actually has his people kind of pull food for her. He gives her special treatment. And the result is pretty cool. Ruth gleans an ephah of barley, and we don't really know, unless unless we looked on Google, we don't really know what ephah is, right? But an ephah is literally, is in our kind of place and time. It's about 35 liters of barley. So the first day she picks, picture a two liter. She picks her about 17 and a half two liters of barley. So she had a pretty good first day. In fact, Naomi takes notice of this and is like, wow, you did great. Where'd you happen to go? And this might, this is a little bit of an aside, but it's my 30 minutes. Um, this might cause you to wonder, why in the world did she go back? And I want to give you a possibility that maybe uh, Ruth and Boaz kind of liked each other. Maybe uh, maybe we're setting a stage for chapters 3 and 4. That she had no real reason to go back after the first day. She'd gotten plenty of food. But she keeps going. One, because Boaz asks her to come back. Says, stay with, you know, stay in my place, stay with me and my people through the barley and the wheat harvest. And she, relating to Naomi, is telling him she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvests, and she did it. That there's a reason they wanted to kind of connect. And so I, see, so I want you to see in this, that was a little aside, but I want you to see in this that God works through his people to accomplish great things and to encourage one another. That just as he's working, he's working through us. And so I'd encourage you, how's God using you to bless other people? And who are you Blessing. And the last thing that we learn from this story is that biblical hope prompts acts of love that matter for eternity. And as I said before, there are two acts of love it's driven by Ruth's biblical hope that form the centerpiece of this story. And the first one is this covenant between Ruth and God and his people in one. The second one is the covenant between Ruth and Boaz. So Naomi recognizes that Ruth and Boaz might be a good match and she says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, Boaz is going to be pretty happy. He's going to be, you know, uh, dealing with his grain. He's going to go lay down in the barn. Go gussy yourself up a little bit, lay down with him. He'll tell you what to do. Ruth almost does that. Ruth's a little more forward than that. We love Ruth for that. Ruth 3, 6 through 9. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and covered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. If you remember, uh, in chapter two, the prayer that Boaz prayed for Ruth was that God would bless her. So the Lord, "Repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will be given to you by the Lord under whose wings you have come to take refuge." And this is another little aside. <clears throat> that this is one of the reasons we use books like the ESV is because it is a word for word translation instead of a thought for thought translation and that you can see the connection between the prayer of Boaz and the wing and the proposal of marriage from Ruth which is let me come under your wing I'd like for you to be the way that God fulfills that prayer and, we're, and Boaz understands absolutely what she's asking, right? He says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. He understands that she's asking To enter into a marriage relationship she's the one that's proposing marriage here which is kind of cool that's her act that's her act of hesed that's her act of love based on a biblical hope and we're going to see that boaz enters into his own act of hesed his own act of love You've probably heard me use the word hesed a couple times. Should have explained what that meant. Let me do that now. When she says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, you, or when Boaz says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, you have made this last kindness greater than the first. The word kindness there is the Hebrew word hesed. And it, it is a word that kind of, it's most often translated in your Bibles as loving kindness. It is a loyal Kind, merciful love. It's the closest Hebrew word we have to agape. And it is throughout scripture. Lamentations 3 is a classic. The love and kindness of the Lord never ceases. And he says this last act of kindness is even greater than your first act of kindness. The two covenants form the structure of this book. These two acts of hesed. And they're both rooted in biblical hope. But somehow God is going to work, confidently asserting that God is going to work according to his promises and in his power. And in the interest of time, I won't go into how Boaz works it out, but he does work it out in a very intentional way to make sure that he ends up with Ruth. And we see that for both Ruth and Boaz, their hope is in God and his people. Ruth's biblical hope moves her from covenant to Naomi and covenant with Boaz. Boaz is biblical hope and we see that there are some challenges for Boaz here. There was, if you know the story, there was another closer kinsman redeemer that could have in effect, married her and would have been given that right by law, but he couldn't do it because he was afraid it was going to mess up the inheritance with his kids. Boaz was willing to take on risks. Boaz was willing to take on the stigma of being married to a Moabitess because of his own biblical hope, his hope that God was somehow going to work this out for his good and God's own glory. And the result is incredible. Verse 4 8 through 12. They get married. Everything's good, right? Um, when this Redeemer, the one that re- in effect rejected Ruth, says to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. He drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech, and all that belong to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily here. And be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. That Ruth is restored in marriage and is blessed by the people. And we're going to see that Naomi is also blessed. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. This is chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And see, Naomi is blessed and restored, not because of her own biblical hope. I almost caught that. Not because of her own biblical hope, but because of Ruth's and Boaz's. And through these acts of love motivated by biblical faith, everyone here has been blessed. Blessed. Goes on to say, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, the son, saying a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Through Ruth, we get David and eventually Jesus. That Ruth's act of loyal, loving kindness because of her biblical hope, it mattered. It mattered to her. It mattered to Boaz. It mattered to Naomi. And it matters to us. Is your biblical hope strong enough? Are you moved by biblical hope to acts of love? Do your actions motivated by hope bless others? It's a very short story. It's tucked away in the Old Testament. It's easy to overlook. And sometimes we need to see these truths of Scripture lived out. Sometimes we need to see 1 Peter lived. And Ruth shows us how to live out our biblical hope. To look past the circumstances, to trust confidently, assert that God is going to do what He promises in the power that He has. Sometimes we get caught in the in the uh, we get caught in the uh, uh, the things around us. We get caught in our circumstances, and we forget that there is a God who is weaving together events to bring about. His glory and our good. Sometimes we get caught in the coincidentals and we think that we brought about things or that things just kind of happened when in fact it's God that brings those things about. And as God's people, we may be the vehicle through which God chooses to bless others. We may be the vehicle through which God chooses to bring hope to hopelessness. God reminds us through Ruth, that biblical hope moves us to action, and that action matters. And so, I want to encourage us this morning. For some of us, having a biblical hope starts with having a relationship in Jesus Christ. Some of us just need to have the relationship in order to have the biblical hope. It's God that gives us the hope. And so I'd encourage you with the Ro- with the words of Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, what does it say? <laughs> Brain fart. Good thing I got my Bible up here. You know, it's funny. I have used Romans 10, 9 and 10 probably a hundred times in my life. And for some reason, I have lost it today. Thank God for God. Um. Uh, It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, yes, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he is your savior and you'll be saved. Some of us need to start there. Do you believe those things? And for others of us, you may believe those things, you may believe in those things, but you don't believe the promise of God that he is working for your good, that he is greater than the problems, than the circumstances that we face. I'd encourage us all to reflect on our lives and see how God has been faithful, to see how God has worked for our good as we've loved him and been called according to his purposes. To see how God is working even now to draw us to himself and to increase our hope in him. And as God's people, I'd encourage us to be a blessing to others. I'd encourage us to place our hope in God and not God's people, knowing as much as we are called to be bound in community with God's people, that we can't put our reliance on those people. That ultimately it is God in whom we place our hope and trust. And to know that as we act in love based on biblical hope um, that our actions matter. That we are advancing and that God is advancing his good kingdom through you. Let's pray as we close. God, I'm just thankful for this time we had to look at the book of Ruth. I pray it would be a blessing to the hearers of your word, as was a blessing to me. And pray that you would give us your peace. Pray you would give us your joy. And pray you would give us your biblical hope, the confident assurance that you are working on our behalf and that you are working through us to accomplish things that matter, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.